Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here. We have a great show for you today. I mean, people listen in to find out what the heck is going on in the world. And, and in New York, uh, with us today in the studio, we have Jay Nelson Happy, a former uh, uh, head of the Regent School Law School. Regent University School of Law. And from Lawrence, Kansas, you're from. That's so you're true. A, you're a middle American common sense guy. <laughs> I am. And he I worked think. with a former uh, uh, law student with me, Jim Cooling. Yeah. And you went to uh, with Jim Cooling from Kansas City. Uh, he's my aviation lawyer. I know he is. No, he's, he's great things about and, you. And uh, and uh, Peter King, you were your uh, roommate in Notre Dame. Yeah, Jim and I were roommates, and uh, I wish any of us did as well with the girls as Jim Cooling did. He he was a superstar. <laughs> well, I didn't know anything those days. But he never had a highway named after him. Well, King's Highway and a county. You know? <laughs> uh, and Lydia Serrani. And by the way, I must. I was very much impressed today. The quote of the day from Elon Musk, civilization will crumble without oil and gas. And that's coming from the head of an electric car company, Tesla. And that's a guy that's smart. He's made billions of dollars. He knows what is going on. A few billion here and there. And on the line with us, one of the smartest guys I know in the military. I wish he was still in the military. Mm -hmm. Who do we have? We have a four-star general, Jack Keane. He's also the former vice chief of staff to the U.S. Army and Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient. Hello, General Keane. Uh, hello. Great to be with you. Well, General, I mean, things have quieted down, but they, they, they prop up once in a while in the Ukraine. Uh, what the heck is going on? Does anybody believe that the Russians are stupid enough to, to bomb uh, uh, the uh, nuclear plant there? Well, first of all, uh, uh, certainly that the nuclear power plant has become a Russian military base, and the Ukrainians certainly are blaming the Russians for doing some of the bombing that's close to the base. I find it hard to believe the Ukrainians would uh, would do any bombing themselves. There's close to 11,000 Ukrainians that work at that plant, uh, so it's, it's it, there's a significant workforce there, and the, the Russians have brutalized that workforce. Um, um, likely the IAE, who's coming uh, within the next uh, day or so to visit the plant finally, uh, will will be able to make some judgments about the operational safety of that plant going forward, certainly. And, yeah, it, it, is a, it is a cause of great concern, certainly, in terms of what could happen. This is the largest nuclear facility in, in Europe. Uh, it has uh, six or seven reactors. Uh, two of them are active. Uh, the others, two are not, and they're still... Uh, connected to the Ukrainian grid. But the big news of the day, John, is that the Ukrainians have officially begun their counteroffensive in the Kherson region. Um, and they're attacking on three axes today as we speak after spending many, many weeks preparing for this in what the military we refer to as shaping operations. And by that, I mean they were taking down the ground lines of communication, the bridges that service uh, uh, Kherson city and making certain that those are cut off so the Russians are going to have great difficulty supplying their troops, and, and hopefully the Ukrainians will be able to succeed in this much-anticipated uh, counteroffensive, which we've waited weeks uh, to unfold. And, uh, G- General Keene, what happens if the reactor goes down? Well, <clears throat> the safety people,
people at the uh, at the plant certainly know how to deal with emergency situations. I mean, the the workforce that's there is a nuclear plant workforce. Uh, what's made it a dangerous situation is the Russians have chosen to make it a military base. And they did that for obvious reasons. I mean, they did that to stroke fear uh, throughout Europe. They did it to stroke fear uh, into the Ukrainians. I think they have elevated the crisis nature uh, of this situation, uh, certainly. But the fact that the IAEA is finally getting in there to conduct some inspections is, is certainly uh, noteworthy. And, and hopefully we'll get some good process and procedures out of it. General, this is Pete. Congressman? No, I was going to ask, uh, General, this is Pete King. What are the uh, odds right now as far as Ukrainians with the counteroffensive? You know, you're the career guy and obviously tremendous uh, expert on this. How how do you see their chances with the counteroffensive? I think the chances are pretty good. I mean, they've looked at this for a long time. Uh, The United States uh, military has also, uh, based on my sources, given them some advice here. they they have something going for them that the Russians do not, and that is the will to fight. And uh, we've seen that time and, and time again. One of the critical things here, John, that the Ukrainians are concerned about, they're not talking about it publicly, but privately, conducting a counteroffensive, which is by nature, as the word says, it's an offensive operation. And they haven't tried to take back significant territory uh, in the previous six months up until now. And and that that will mean they they will need a continuous flow of arms and ammunition, not go stop go stop continuous flow, and that is one of their underlying concerns because they if the United States and the Europeans don't keep up the flow of this, it could stall their offensive. Now certainly the Americans have been told this, the Europeans have been told this. It's a matter of execution. Is as far as I can see, and also the will and the resolve on the part of the United States and the Europeans. The United States has said the right thing, John. They are, senior officials have said, look, we're in this for the long game. We're in this to sustain uh, Ukraine and help them get their territory back. Well, here's, here's going to be the proof of it. The operations up to now have been certainly helpful to the Ukrainians in terms of arms and munition, but this is a very critical phase uh, we're moving into. Also, uh, our audience should know that Putin has made a strategic shift. He he knows full well now that he is in a protracted. Did we lose the general? Because his oh, operation in Donbass, his operation in Donbass region did not succeed to the degree that he wanted. He took some territory, but not all. He suffered staggering amount of casualties, and his offensive has stalled. He knows he's going to be in Ukraine for a very, very long time. General Jackin, can we go over to the Middle East? I saw that the U.S. Embassy employees were evacuated from the green zone by helicopter in Baghdad, Iraq. What is the latest there? Is there there simmering tensions? And then uh, after that, I want to also ask you about Afghanistan. Is there now a new resurgence of the Taliban based on just our catastrophic evacuation from there? Yeah, well, the situation certainly has spiraled up in, in Iraq uh, with the level of violence. I do believe it's temporary. Uh, I do believe the situation, uh, while always, uh, you know, in Iraq, uh, it, there's, there's a tendency uh, for this kind of thing to certainly happen. There's political factions 
uh, that are opposing each other, that are, that are causing this violence. It's not going to change the United States' commitment to stay in Iraq. We're there because of ISIS. And remember, we had to go back into Iraq after we pulled out because of ISIS. They're still there. And we got a small force committed to that. And we're certainly helping the Iraqis uh, deal with that situation. But I see this as a temporary situation. And not, it won't happen again. Uh, but it's not going to be, this level of violence is not going to be sustained. General, I had Secretary Pompeo on my show yesterday on Sunday. And uh, he's talking about in Afghanistan that uh, this opens up all, all over again, having uh, uh, chances of our country being attacked. Well, he's right about that. And, and, you know, the military leaders, the intelligence uh, leaders of uh, our intel agencies and all of our NATO partners, John, who were in Afghanistan with us, and they had 6,000 troops that they wanted to leave there. We had 2,500. President Biden was told all of this. He was told the fact that, listen, if we pull out the troops, then the NATO wanted to leave theirs. If we pull out ours, it's likely the Taliban will take over. It's not a question of if they will. It's a question of when they will. And then they will protect the al-Qaeda, who certainly are not at the scale that they were on 9-11, because we have been there making certain that that wasn't happening up until last year. But they will grow and thrive under the Taliban's protection. And that's what Secretary Pompeo is talking about. And, and, the, and President Biden was told all of this, John. That is what is so aggravating and frustrating about it. He had all the knowledge, and he was defiant, in my view, in resisting this because he believed he knew better. And he put America at risk unnecessarily as a result of that, not even to speak of the unconditional withdrawal. We came an unconditional surrender and a horrible evacuation that took place. Uh, under strenuous conditions that led to the loss of, you know, 13 of our great troops and 170 Afghans. Also well, it's, it's, that was General, horrible. those 13 of our great troops is horrible, but it's a lot worse than that. It's uh, turning over that big air base to China because they, you know, they control it right now. And uh, all the minerals, uh, a trillion dollars worth of, mir- uh, of minerals that are uh, being used by the batteries – that the Chinese are making to to supply uh, General Motors with the battery cars. <laughs> uh, it's just frustrating, General. Oh yeah, very very much so, John. I share your uh, frustration. I'm sure uh, many of our uh, in our audience do. Even those who wanted to leave Afghanistan uh, certainly didn't want to see an ending like this, uh, which certainly has diminished the United States worldwide, weakened our influence. And certainly, as you're suggesting, and rightfully so, has emboldened our adversaries. Look at what's happened. Uh, Russia, Ukraine, China, Taiwan, uh, Iran more aggressive in in the Middle East, uh, all connected to the weakness of the United States in Afghanistan. General Keene, thank you for everything you've done for this country and continue to speak out for this country. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. Yeah, always great talking to you, John, and your audience. Thank, Thank you. you. And now we got some breaking news. And now on the line with us, intrepid investigative reporter extraordinaire of JustTheNews.com, John Solomon. I understand you have some breaking news for us. Tell us all about it. 
We do. Just a little bit ago, uh, more than 100 Republicans signed a letter to Nancy Pelosi saying, hey, just a few months ago, you told America that Joe Biden didn't have the ability to cancel student loan debt. Then you let him do it. And now you flipped around. We want to have some accountability in Congress because we don't think this is lawful. Congress makes laws. The president implements them. Uh, A big, large number of of over two-thirds of the Republican caucus on a single letter. I think this is going to get pushed. I'm hearing that they may pull some parliamentary tactics to try to force Nancy Pelosi's hand. This is an awkward position for her because she originally said Joe Biden can't do this legally. And then she doubled around after he did it and praised him. I would keep an eye on this dynamic as we come into the we'll come back from summer break in a couple of weeks. The Republicans are going to use all of their capabilities to bring this uh, uh, this issue to the forefront of Congress, maybe force a vote. It can be very interesting to see where that plays out. But that just happened just a little bit ago in in Congress, even in a recess week. We have a little bit of news coming out of Washington. And John Solomon, what's the latest on the Trump affidavit? Well, uh, today the Justice Department went to the judge who over the weekend said, I think I'm going to put a special master in here. I think there's some legitimate concerns here. Let's go through the documents, see if the FBI overcollected, if they pierced privilege and did things that they shouldn't have done. The Justice Department came in today and said, ah, now you can trust us. We do this all the time. Trust us, judge. We're fine. And oh, by the way, we did come up with some attorney-client privilege documents, but we'll get back. Don't worry about that. I, I to num- tomorrow I'm going to have a really fun story because this idea of these taint teams, what they call taint teams, that go in and try to segregate things that were improperly collected. These have been very controversial in the courts. There have been some negative rulings recently. And at this very moment, the United States Supreme Court is actually considering taking a case that would uh, ultimately decide the legality of whether the FBI could even do this, whether they could look at someone's attorney-client privilege documents and say, okay, we can be neutral and we'll we'll pretend we didn't see that. Uh, So there's a Supreme Court case pending. The Securities and Exchange Commission in April uh, uh, made a major disclosure that they had been doing this wrong for some time. And there's some earlier controversies in very recent court cases. This idea that Justice Department went and said, you can trust us. They're actually saying it into a firestorm where a lot of judges and courts have become very concerned about this as a solution to overcollection in search warrants. So uh, interesting time ahead of us. And John, John Solomon, uh, Trump supposedly said today that the uh, 20, uh, 20 uh, election should be overturned? I mean, that's nonsense. I mean, did he actually say Yeah, that? that's not going to happen. <laughs> I, I haven't seen that yet. Uh, I've been he put it out on the... Truth Social. He put it out, yeah. a tweet that he wants it to, we should, we should redo the election right now. And I, I don't I know. I mean, is he looking to create his own banana peel? I don't know. Um, It's a a good question, right? Listen, it isn't going to get overturned. It doesn't matter what the former president says or what the current president says or anyone else says. It's not going to be overturned. There is no mechanism. We're too far into it. Yeah. was disturbing. Meanly, meanwhile, there are really legitimate things that we can fix ahead of 2022 and 2024 so that we have greater confidence, which should be everybody's focus right now, getting a better confidence in the system. Wisconsin, there's a lot of fighting going on there where illegal tactics were approved for the 2020 election. We want to make sure those don't happen again in 2022, 2024. The Zuckerberg money, there are still some states where that's allowed. We've seen the corrupting influence of that. So there are positive things that can be done for the future. Uh, But the idea that we're going to go back and redo the 2020 election, it's just not happening. 
Tell us about these whistleblowers. What are they saying? I actually think that this is going to become a big story all throughout the fall. There are now more than 20 whistleblowers inside the FBI that have come forward saying that decisions in the FBI field office in Washington, which does a lot of the big corruption cases, have been tainted by repeated and inappropriate politics. I'll give you two examples. One, uh, an effort to squash the Hunter Biden uh, investigation in 2020 by saying the laptop was misinformation. That actually originated inside the FBI long before we saw it with those national security people signing a letter. And another instance where that same office opened up an investigation of Donald Trump without appropriate evidence. They were taking evidence from Democrats, just like the 2016 Russia collusion case came from Democrats, and they didn't meet the threshold for opening up the case, and still they opened up on Donald Trump. Uh, these whistleblowers are coming out in large numbers. I'm beginning to see there may be some personnel decisions in the near future that will indicate the FBI has found some serious problems. John Solomon, thank you so much, and uh, we'll catch up with you again uh, when more breaking news is coming up. That would be awesome. Thanks, guys. Good to be with you. You know, that's the news that you won't hear anywhere else but right here on Cats at Night, where we tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Right, John Katzmatidis? That's what you do. You, you, you'll find out things on, on this show that you won't find out in any other show. And, and I tell you, the joke around here is even the KGB is listening. <laughs> we, know, sure. we know China's listening. Well, keep it right here on Cats at Night, because coming up, we'll be talking about the economy. We'll be with Paul Lunsis, then we're going to talk what's about... what's going on in the oil business, because all of a sudden, oil in the last two days has gone from $89, $90 to 97 And I heard there's a shortage. Also, we'll be talking about congestion pricing. We'll also be talking to Senator Alphonse D'Amato and Dr. Peter Mikolos, how to keep how to stay uh, and healthy. And Nicole and Congresswoman Nicole Meliotakis. Keep it right here. Cats at Night. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, we're back, and we've got with us today Paul Lunsis, a, a uh, money manager and, uh, and uh, one smart guy on the economy. Paul, uh, in the last uh, two days, oil has gone up over $7 or $8 a barrel, and there's reports around that the refinery in Indiana, the BP refinery, has been down for, for like 10 days and maybe down for another 10 days. And uh, there may be a shortage of uh, uh, oil in the Northeast. Um, and the markets, the markets went into deep, deep, what, dive on, on Friday? What say you? You know, John, it all seems to have a lot of it has stemmed from the meeting that Powell had out in Jackson Hole at the economic symposium. A lot of people, market watchers and the markets in general, were hoping that the Fed would telegraph some kind of a pivot in the aggressive policy tightening, the 75 basis point increase in June and another 75 in July. They were hoping um, there's none in August, but they're going to meet in September and they were hoping in September maybe they would not do a 75, do a 50. And he was quite aggressive in his comments. Um, He certainly was not dovish. He talked about price stability. He even talked about Paul Volcker and Paul Volcker and what they had to do in the early 1980s, um, given the high levels uh, of inflation at that time. And he talked about, you know, people thought that he was going to pivot and say maybe rate increases will come down. And he did the exact opposite. He was very resolute. And he said, look, we're going to fight inflation, do what we have to. And it's going to, it could be very challenging um, for businesses, 
and for consumers. And that's not really uh, what people had anticipated. And as a result, on Friday, the S&P Dow and NASDAQ were all down 3 to 4%. And today, the um, S&P and the Dow were both down 50, 60, 70 basis points, and the NASDAQ was down another 1%. So I think the inflation, the inflation fight that he's, um, he's doing differently than what people had thought he would do. And one other point, John, that's really important, or a couple other points, utility bills, this really hit me, one in six households, that's 20 million households in America, are behind in their utility payments. It's very, very scary. Back in December 19, well, there was it's going to get worse. I got my it's utility correct. payment from my house, and my house is usually $500, and it was $1,000. Yeah. Double. That's, that's ex- Everybody's that's right, seen John. it. Mm-hmm. And, and natural gas prices were under two for many years, then a little above two. They they, they hit ten, ten dollars the other day. And Europe, <clears throat> Europe's really in trouble. They were eighty and ninety dollars per MMBTU for natural gas. Other issue, another issue again impacted by inflation is rents. Rents up twenty five percent since before the pandemic. Because nobody's going to buy houses, so they're, well, they're renting. They're renting, John. But since twenty. This is really surprising. Since 2006, rents have risen faster than home prices, and home prices have shot up unbelievably. Um, you know, a lot of this began back in 08, 09. We've underbuilt single-family homes by five to six million, going all the way back uh, to that time. And we had about a, a shortage of about seven million um, low-priced housing units. So, you know, everything's being exacerbated. The challenges we would normally face are all being exacerbated by inflation. So where do we go from here? I mean, and and we, you know, we're creating, it's going to be a recession and it doesn't have to be a recession, but we're forcing it. When, when people thought that, that when president Biden went to Saudi Arabia and the price of oil might come down, you know, three weeks ago, it was as low as 86.50, a hoot and a holler away from the 65 to 75. I predicted. And now, machine kaput. Mm. Well, and a lot of the decline, John, in the price of oil, you know, my sense is because of the really, really slowing global economy. China has been the growth engine for the global economy for many, many years, and they're sputtering. Um, and so the rest of the world is sputtering. I, I would sadly say if all the world was growing, if GDP was growing 2 and 3%, um, oil prices might be 130, 140 but because global global economies are slowing, you know, we had the two negative quarters here, um, that has really helped uh, the decline in the price of oil because there's, really no, there's really no excess capacity anywhere. And a lot of it's being driven by what you said, the, the lack of refinery capacity in America. We haven't built a refinery probably in 40 or 50 years. Well, what's worse is the Indiana refinery, which I think is the fourth or fifth largest in the country, has been down for 10 days and might be down for another 10 days. Yep. Well, that means higher prices. And that's, why, that's, why, uh, that's why crude oil is $97. Thank you so much, Paul Lutzis, and we'll catch up again. Take care. Thank Bye-bye. You. Stay tuned. We're going to have Lou Dobbs.
This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Here in New York City, it seems that the crime is getting more brazen, more out of control. And then on top of it, so are the taxes. They want to implement another tax on the middle class with congestion pricing, forcing people to pay up upwards of $23 a day just to come into Midtown Manhattan. There's one woman on the line who knows all about this, and she is mad as hell, and she's not going to take it anymore. I Stat- was mad <laughs> as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. That's right. Staten Island Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis. Nicole, where do we start? I mean, we've seen the attacks with the mopeds in broad daylight at noon, just steps away from the Guggenheim, and then in Staten Island, that elderly man was attacked. St. Patrick's Cathedral? Yeah, he was sitting in his wheelchair in on the bus, and the guy robs him. I mean, wh- where do we go? Well, it's obviously gotten out of hand, and we've been saying that this would happen as a result of the disastrous bail law that was put into effect. There's a number of laws that have been put into effect. The bail law that keeps releasing people um, over and over again, despite the fact that somebody could have a dozen, two dozen, three dozen arrests. They could be continuously committing the same crime. They will still be released back onto the street under Governor Governor Hochul's uh, radical bail law that she refuses to fix, quite frankly. And that is, I think, one of the biggest issues in this campaign cycle is uh, those of us who want to fix that law and those who refuse to do so. And then you have the Raise the Age Law, which has actually played a a major role in this. The Raise the Age Law, at the time I was in the state legislature, when they passed it, we called it, the Republicans had called it the uh, Gang Recruitment Act, because basically we said that they were going to get young people to do their dirty work because they would not be prosecuted as adults. And that is exactly what has happened. A lot of these robberies that are occurring or car thefts or carjackings are being committed by people under the age of 18 because they go to family court instead of criminal court, and then they have their records sealed when they turn 18. So this is another big issue that needs to be addressed by our state legislature, and those of us who want law and order, who support our police, who want to see public safety, are pushing to get some changes. And, and look, the bottom line is if this governor and state legislature will not make these changes, then we need a new governor. And we need a new state legislature. This year's the chance to do it. Nicole, this is Pete King. Have the people in Staten Island zeroed in yet on the gubernatorial election? Do they realize what the stakes are between Lee Zeldin and Kathy Hochul? I I think they do. As a matter of fact, you know, Governor Cuomo had won my congressional district twice. And I see uh, Lee Zeldin trending uh, this cycle. And so I do believe, in fact, Lee Zeldin is going to be out on Staten Island tonight. We're about to have a rally with him shortly. Uh, and, and that is one of his top issues, public safety. And you know what? Three quarters of New Yorkers say public safety is their number one issue. And if that's the case, they should be voting for Lee Zeldin. Um, so I do believe that people understand that this is truly a referendum on what's been happening. It's not just the crime, but as you mentioned, it's the you know the cost of living that is skyrocketing in New York. It is now the congestion pricing, which the governor is trying to ram through uh, with the MTA without doing due diligence and in, uh, in, in conducting an, a thorough economic and environmental impact statement. It's these migrant buses that are coming to New York. And again, I'm the daughter of immigrants, and I appreciate those who want to come here for a better opportunity, but not this unsustainable. Uh, mass uh, immigration that is illegal, people crossing over illegally. And now New York... Well, besides that, they're bringing the the fentanyl across the borders, and they've killed 140,000 Americans in the last 12 months. You're right, John. It is the number one killer of Americans 14, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry, uh, up to to, uh, 45 years old. 
18 to 45 year olds, the number one killer, uh, not COVID, it is fentanyl, and it's streaming over our southern border. And I went down to the border, and you, you guys know this, went down to the border, saw what was happening. The drug cartels are, are, are basically running the show. Uh, the CBP does not have the back. Uh, they, they don't, I mean, the, the administration doesn't have the back of this administration. So what we need to do is make sure that the CBP has the tools, the resources, and the support from this administration. And the only way we're going to do that is if we take back the House, we have some leverage to push back. And again, as you mentioned, look, we, we support those who want to cross into our country legally and apply to be uh, members of our society and achieve the American dream. But it's unsustainable what is happening. And now New Yorkers are, are supposed to pay for hotels $300 million. That's unsustainable, especially when we're talking about New York City being so costly and people being driven out due to high taxes. Nicole, is there anything Congress can do about the congestion pricing? Like dealing with the are they waiting, of by the way, are they waiting for the federal government to give them money on the congestion pricing? In yes, other words, so, so, tell well, us that. You know what? I, I think, John, they received, the MTA received billions of dollars in federal aid, which is why we're, we're asking that question, where is it going? And, and I have a bill that I've just introduced that would require a federal audit by the DOT, the Department of Transportation on the federal level, Inspector General, to see where is this money that we're giving them, the federal government giving the MTA, where is it going? But yes, I do believe there is an opportunity for us, for us to stop the congestion pricing, and, and this is the plan. If enough people testify right now, because hearings are taking place, they're accepting online comment, if enough people testify and say that they are trying to ram this down our throats without a proper uh, evaluation and study of the environmental and economic impacts, uh, I believe that the Federal Highway Administration will step in here uh, and slow this thing down and make them do a thorough study to see what the consequences are. Because this is they're the going to bring the city to a, to a halt. They're they're, they're going to bring the Cross Bronx Expressway to a it's at a, at a it's at a halt already. It's going to be at a super halt. It's mm. going to go nowhere. And then all the congestion will be right around mm. above 60th Street. I mean, this we saw this happening in London, and they're trying to get rid of it. So. Exactly. So, uh, Congresswoman Nicole Meliotakis, thank you for everything that you do for our city, our state, our country, and anything you need. Just reach out to us. Thank you. Well, well thank you. Just go to www.mta.info slash CBDTP, Central Business District Tolling Program, slash comment. That's what we need people to do. We need as many people to go to that website and submit a written comment uh, saying that we need the, the MTA to do its due diligence. Keep up the fight, and I, Nicole. And I think we'll be able to help. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate thank, it. Thank you. And now to another tough uh, New Yorker. We got Senator Alphonse D'Amato. The one, what, he's the greatest senator we've ever had. No, no he's too quiet. Al D'Amato is too the quiet. Only the greatest U.S. senator New York ever had. The only problem is he kind of keeps his feelings to himself, right. and he's just way too quiet. I'm too understated. That's right. I, needed, I needed more Peter King in me. Behind, who was the greatest bipartisan congressman? Yes, a Republican, Republican values, etc. But he wasn't afraid to work with the Democrats for the benefit of the country. And, and, and that's what we need. We have too much partisanship. Al, I learned that from you. I saw what you were able to do with Pat Moynihan and Chris Dodd and others in the Senate. But you have Governor Hochul, Senator D'Amato, that is uh, saying if you're a Republican, boo, get out of here. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you, uh, you had a number of speakers. And, and John Casamitidis, let me take my hat off to you because you got people 
and you and you yourself who call them the way you see them. Not for the Republicans, not for the Democrats, but for the people of this country. And and you want our leaders to do the right thing. And darn it, Hochul, yeah, you're gutless. Uh, uh, you got, were going to, uh, you know, replace that corrupt governor. And what do you do? You give away tens of billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars without accountability. Uh Instead of reforming this ridiculous bail uh, act and calling the, your, your Democratic uh, uh, thugs back in, because they're acting like thugs, they're protecting thugs, uh, you have a crime epidemic that, that, that is choking off and having people flee uh, the state of New York. And now— How about the football stadium, Al? —at the MTA— well, let me tell you what you're going to do. I'll just tell you from Nassau County and Suffolk County, and I'm not even bringing in Westchester and those other environs. You're going to have people who are not going to come into the city. You know why? They're going to move. You think they're going to be paying an extra $20 a day or more to come into the city? You're out of your mind. And that's why, because she doesn't manage the way you can and should. Now, let me tell you one other thing, just so you don't think that, that all I do is attack Democrats. This thing with Trump that your program mentioned earlier, he wants to redo. He talks about a redo of the 2020 election. For God's sakes, cut it out. Stop it. But why it's would he say something stupid like that? <laughs> why? Well, you tell me. The ego is bigger than the rest of the brain, and the ego takes over. And that's why he put a bunch of lawyers on who didn't know what they were doing mm. in defending the records that, that he took uh, uh, in, in challenging the election. They never won one case. And, and then he, he hires or he gets his friend to, to go to the Ukraine and make it look like He's trying to do something that was improper when Joe Biden and the proof was there. All you had to do is watch Biden when he was the former vice president, Brad, about how he got the U.K. to stop the investigation. And the major media never carried it. And talk about major media here. Now we see the FBI is admitting, or at least they're the proof that indicates the, the Hunter Biden laptop, which would have blown, if that was exposed, would have blown Biden out of the water, that it was real. And they sat on it. They hid it. They, 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 they absolutely went out of that way, out of their way to defeat him. But don't get angry because those things took place. That election's over. It's too late. You should have put a stop to it before. So cut it out, you egomaniac, and talk about the crime that is infesting this country. Talk about the economic collapse, because let me tell you, this business about the price increases, you've just begun to see it. And the fuel prices are going to skyrocket anyway. Al, to me, the more, the more Donald Trump's name is on the front pages, the worse we do. I mean, Biden's numbers are going to go up. The more people see Trump, the more 
Biden's numbers go up, and I tell you, they could really hurt us as far as taking over the Congress. And in November. Biden's playing it smart. He's staying in the basement. He's keeping quiet. He hasn't done a what an interview in hundreds of days. And you got Trump just tweeting away on this Truth Social, and we we're seeing the GOP numbers they're sliding downward, and Biden's polling numbers continue to tick up. Yeah, we have to defend well, you know, uh, Mar-a-Lago instead of attacking Biden. Exactly. Exactly. And he, he should talk about the economy. He should talk about the crime. And he should stop this nonsense about redoing the election. That's right. That is stupidity. And that's the arrogance that he has. And I have to tell you, the only Republican, and I may have Republican friends, and I voted for Trump, who, who will lose is Trump against anybody. I'm telling you, he cannot win the presidency. And if he's mad at me, Oh, screw yourself. Can can he turn it around? Can he turn it around? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. <laughs> if he were to stop, if he were to stop with this ego stuff and just focus on the issues and how Biden is spiraling this country yeah. down the toilet, could he turn it around, Senator D'Amato? Yeah. If, if he began to talk about the facts, about the economic decline, about the, the problems that middle class and hardworking people are going to be facing stop talking about himself economic blunders um uh, yes he could turn it around but he's got to stop this stuff we're stalling no you jackass you lost it because you brought in a bunch of incompetent jackasses uh to run it and you thought you were going to win it with your bluster etc and and the fact is nobody wants to hear that you're a crybaby talk about the problem and how we can solve it. We're out of time, and I want to to hear about your trip. Uh, Next time you're on, I want to hear about your trip to Italy, and and, uh, God bless you. And Greece. The Greece, it was incredible. Uh, You know, to see what they did 2,700 years ago when they built that, that fantastic edifice, that complex there, it's incredible, incredible. And And the water's off the Greek coast uh, are second to none. I look forward to hearing about it, and thank you so much for coming on, and God bless you. Good to be with you, John. Thank Keep you. up the good work. Thank you. And now on the line with us, we have uh, Tom Gretsch. He's a president and CEO of the Queen's Chamber of Commerce, and he's also mad as hell when it comes to congestion pricing. Tom Gretsch, what is the latest? I know there have been several hearings, and hundreds of people have voiced their concerns at these MTA board meetings. Lydia, if I could say something more important to Tom Gretsch, mm. he should be honored. His son made the Chaminade football team this week. Oh. <laughs> it's more important than all this. Thank you so much, Congressman, Congressman King. <clears throat> I really appreciate the time on the air. Listen, I think the MTA has got a great, great leader in Jano Lieber. Let me just say that first and foremost. If anybody can help fix what's going on at the MTA, it's a guy like Jano Lieber working in conjunction with the governor and our wonderful mayor, Eric Adams. But let me just tell you, this congestion pricing thing is not just a New York City issue. It's going to affect all, affect all the lower counties around New York City, uh, Westchester, Ulster, Nassau, Suffolk, and the and the region. And so I, I'm not really one to kind of just say no, because I definitely think that the MTA needs funding and our rail system and our bus system needs improvement. And I'd probably be the last person to suggest a tax increase. But I do think one of the ways to have more parity and fairness about this is to add a small percentage to the current MTA sales tax within all the other counties that would benefit from 
congestion relief and funding for the MTA. I think it very, very, the way it's currently structured totally increases the cost of deliveries, which are going to be passed on to people all over the region. Listen, I have a member that charges $50 for local deliveries from Long Island City into Manhattan. A 50, 60, 70, some dollar amount on top of that makes that business unattainable and inoperable in every way, shape, or form. It's going to be, so a, a, it could be as much as $23 to, to cross well, the bridge. That it's nine to twenty three dollars for cars, which is a separate truck. Might be eighty dollars. The, the, the trucks, the, the trucks, the largest trucks of all, could be over eighty dollars. Right. So and the, at the end of the day, is, the consumers are going to pay. Whoever the well, store, they're pay, yeah. or they're not going to get the services they want. Right. I have another member that's got two hundred trucks. It's an elevator repair company. He cannot. He won't be able to service his customers. Right. Most of the elevators are in the skyscrapers mm. of Manhattan. He comes back and forth from the island and from Queens. But at the end of the day, there's got to be some notion of parity. For the record, we're not opposed to congestion pricing, but there needs to be some issue of parity that's going to help out people spread the cost across a number of different areas and a number of different players to have it all on the backs of small businesses that are trying their level best to get out of the environment of this insipid COVID, which has dominated us for the last two years. We're starting to see it. You know, today is the opening of the U S open. The Mets are playing at, at, at city field. It's, it's a Queens is in a great, great place, but this additional cost, to do business is going to be a very, very difficult thing to overcome. And I know I'm not being very popular among some people for coming out in support of a different way of going about this funding, but it can't be on the backs of small businesses. Well, thank you so much, uh, Tom Gretchen, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. And and you can, you run a great chamber of commerce in Queens, and and you do a lot of. A lot of work and a lot of help for those small businesses out there, and I admire you. John, Tom is really the best. Just a great guy to work with. Best chamber of commerce in the city. Well, come on. Thank you very much. John, thanks for getting me on the involved with the PAL board. Let me tell you, what a great operation and what a great opportunity that is to have people in Queens and throughout New York City help our youth to get them off the streets and into programs that can benefit the finest, finest men and women in blue and make us a little bit better off amongst each other. Thank you so much, Tom, and uh, thank you for being a board member of Police Athletic League. Thank you. Let's, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to have Dr. Peter Michalos with an update of what's going on with our health. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night Show. Now on the line for us, we have Dr. Peter Mikolos, our resident <laughs> medical genius. He's going to talk to us about heart disease and new medicines. What's the latest? Well, there's a lot going on in the world of uh, heart disease. And uh, we've been talking about COVID, 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 but many people ignore going to their cardiologists, getting their EKGs and getting other a lot of uh, medical uh, issues taken care of. So now it's time to get your annual physical and get checked out and get your EKG, especially if you have a history of heart disease. But right now we're learning that uh, making prevention uh, a priority is very important. And this weekend I had the uh, opportunity to speak to uh, Dr. Professor Eugenia Gianos, the Director of Women's Heart Health at Lenox Hill and Director of Cardiovascular Prevention. Uh, and uh, 
had a very interesting discussion and uh, talking about some of the papers and presentations that she's done and uh, being a big advocate of a plant-based diet for the prevention of heart disease. And a lot of these studies where they gave people the plant-based diet, where they ate fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, olive oil, egg acid, some people actually reversed some of their cardiac disease. But again, there are also other people who have a genetic component to these, and sometimes the best diet and the, over the, and the prescription medicines and statins don't necessarily work. So there are these new classes of medicines like Repatha by Amgen and Prouillant from Regeneron, which are called PSK9 inhibitors, and you have to take a shot um, once every two weeks. And there's even some new ones that might be twice a year, and they bring down the cholesterol and the uh, triglycerides. And as I, as we learned on WABC before, the way to remember it, LDL is the lousy cholesterol and HDL is the happy cholesterol. So we want to bring down the LDL and increase the HDL and these new uh, shots that exist. The problem is they're very expensive. Insurance companies don't want to pay for them. But what's really fascinating about this, especially the Repatha study that was done at the Cleveland Clinic, some people who had these plaques in their heart and their vessels, it actually reversed and they disappeared. So this stuff is pretty amazing. So that I understand uh, about our discussions, if you get your LDL below 30, then the plaque starts to disappear. Yeah, it depends if it's what's called soft plaque. Once it's the heart atherosclerotic plaque, that's different. But a lot of the plaque that actually causes heart attack is called soft plaque because it can dislodge and it can go block a coronary artery. A coronary artery is the blood vessel that actually feeds the heart itself. So when the heart pumps and feeds the rest of the body, it also has these vessels called coronary arteries that feed themselves. And when they get plugged up and the loose plaque gets loose, that's when you end up needing like a heart stent to stretch out and open and, and reestablish blood flow, and uh, it saves people's lives. So uh, it's basically a balancing out. But really in our school system and what Dr. Giannos is working on is trying to get medical students and everything from elementary school up to learn about the plant-based diet. And even our mayor right here in New York, he's a big advocate of the plant-based diet. And uh, he's been pushing that, and he talks about how it helped him uh, in his health. And uh, I think the goal, of, you know, start off with a light goal. If you can eat, like, 10 different plants a week, whether it's, you know, olive oil or avocados, uh, beans, and different things, and if you can have that goal every week, it's amazing the benefits you start seeing in your laboratory work and in the way you feel. But I think now that we're post-COVID, we learned about how important it is to try to be healthy, try to lose some weight, and try to, to have a stronger immune system so we can fight off and be prepared for God knows what the next uh, pandemic will be dealing with or the next infectious disease. And winter's coming around the corner. So again, you know, the flu hasn't disappeared completely either. So it's good to start getting healthy from now and uh, uh, t obesity in 1960 was only 10% of the population. Now it's 40% of the population. Well, thank but you. Stay healthy, and thank you for getting the truth out every day. Thank you, Dr. Michalos. And uh, Nelson, thank uh, Nelson Happy, thank you for being in the studio today. Glad what to say you? You have any fun? I'm having a lot of fun. This is great. It's a very exciting place to be. Peter, <laughs> Peter King of King's Highway and King's Plaza. <laughs> I always have fun with you guys. Yeah. Thank you. And what do we stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and, and the, the American, American way. way.